Hey, hey, welcome to episode number 48 of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I talk with Wednesday Stanley. We talk about gratitude and grief. We talk about finding your why and your purpose in this next chapter of life. And we talk about how faith and God plays a role in your grieving and healing journey, or at least how it did for the two of us. And I didn't find a great part of this podcast episode where I could dive into guilt. Wednesday mentions guilt and grief a few times throughout the episode. And I think that's something a lot of what I struggled with. I know it's something that I struggled with. So while I didn't find what felt like a great point to stop the podcast and really dig into the topic of guilt and grief, if it is something you're struggling with, or it is something that you want to learn more about, or something that's a weight on your shoulders, I spent the last few minutes of this episode specifically talking about guilt and grief and another way to think about it instead of carrying such a heavy burden as guilt around with you. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Wednesday. She is a 49-year-old gymnastics coach. She has two daughters and a stepson, one granddaughter, and married the love of her life at 21. They were married for 27 years. And yes, I asked her what the secret to a happy, successful marriage of 27 years is, and she does give the answer. My, her husband died three days after her 27th anniversary, and she's a faithful follower of Christ. And of course, we'll put her social media links in the show notes if you would like to learn more about her and to connect with her. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brave Widow Show. Today I'm here with Wednesday Stanley and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Wednesday, welcome and thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, if you don't mind, if you'll give the audience just a brief overview of your background, uh, then we'd love to learn more about you and hear about your story. Okay. So I am a gymnastics coach. I've coached for 35 years. Um, Met and married my husband when I was 21. And we were married for 27 years. I have two children and a stepson. I have a 15-year-old granddaughter and lots of cats now. (laughs) Oh, no. How many cats? How many cats is it? (laughs) So... (laughs) So I have two that live inside, but somehow I've adopted five that live outside. <laughs> and one of them, one of them was pregnant three days ago and yeah, she doesn't look pregnant anymore. So I don't know where the kittens are. You may have a few more now. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay. So I guess my background, I mean, I, I, I grew up in the same neighborhood with my husband, but we are 10 years apart. And we actually have kind of a little funny story about how we came to know each other. He and his brother used to, I guess, hijack my dad's security patrol in the neighborhood when they were little. And they would drive around with my dad. And so, like, 
he knew who my dad was. And they used to terrorize my dad saying, when we grow up, we're going to buy the house that's right behind y'all. And we're going to move there. And we're just going to be part of yours all the time. And my dad was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So fast forward 10 years. So I guess no more than that. Or I don't know. Years and years later, my now sister-in-law called her husband and said, I found my dream house, my perfect house, the house I want to live in. And so he goes, cool, what's the address? And she says the address. He goes, all right, let's go by and look at it. And he pulls up and he said, no way. No, because Tommy Schlitzberger <laughs> lives right there. So we are not moving into that house. And she was like, yes, we are. And so eventually they did. And my husband actually helped move them in and they're identical twins. So I uh, was walking out of my parents' house one day and I was like, hey, Stacy. And he's like, my name's not Stacy, it's Tracy. And he got in his truck and he drove off. And I, I remember thinking, man, what a jerk. <laughs> and um, so weeks and weeks went by and we met each other a few times and we went on our first date in December, end of November, beginning of December, and we were married in August. And so it's just kind of a, a funny little thing. So when people in our neighborhood found out that I was marrying one of the twins, they were like, aren't y'all like a little bit of age difference? A little, but it worked. It worked for us, obviously, for 27 years. But I was working in the church. I was a youth director for when I, when I met and married my husband and did that for many years and unfortunately was disenchanted with the governing church. And so I went back to my roots, which was gymnastic coaching. And so I'd always done that from the time I met my husband until now. I've always coached gymnastics. And I love it. I love working with kids. I love being that person that can be that source of inspiration for, for people sometimes. We are heavily involved in the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. I actually help with a committee that services all the cowboys. And so we make sure that they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner the whole time that they're there for competition, which is three weeks um, here in Houston area. So my husband and I had a, uh, what I would tell people was a love affair. I loved him every day that I, that, I, that I knew him and did everything I could to spend as much time with him as possible, even though we worked opposite shifts. So he went to work first thing in the morning and obviously coaching gymnastics. Um, my shifts were generally in the evening and afternoon. So, so we try. Yeah, I have to ask you 27 years. I was one month shy of 20 years. That's a long time. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you tell people is the secret to having a marriage that lasts 27 years? For me, we never stopped dating. So that's what I was going to say is that we had to be very uh, conscientious of spending our time together and, and making sure that we spent time together to the point to where like some of the guys on his cook committee approached him one time and they said, do you take your wife everywhere? And he was like, yeah, she's my best friend. And so we were, we really were each other's best friends. And we did do everything together, which is a positive. And now in retrospect is also kind of a negative because we did everything together. There weren't a whole lot of outside people for me to really lean on in the time that I needed them. And so I kind of had to find my way. Yeah. And so I'm curious. So for me, what I found was 
my identity was really intertwined with my spouses. And so 100%. it's like, you're having to, to recreate who you are and rediscover that. Did you feel the same way? 100%. I mean, like I am, I didn't, and that's exactly it is I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know who I was without him. And everybody was like, oh, well, you're so strong or you're so this and you're so that. And, and that is so great for people to feel that way. But when you don't feel that way, it's really difficult to, to find yourself. And it took me, I, 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 I'm on so many different widow groups and I read so many different things. And, and I'm not heartless or non-empathetic to other people or unsympathetic to other people's um, trials and tribulations. But for a while, I had to get off of one of the widow sites because all it was was doom and gloom and, and sadness. And, and when you're trying to dig out of that hole, being surrounded by that doesn't help you find your, your, your inner person or who you are anymore. Having people tell you, oh, it's going to get better, or it gets better. You just give it some time and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll move through it and it'll be fine. It'll, it'll get lighter. And I've had to tell people, I spent a lot of introspective time afterwards. And one of the things that um, I did is I started walking every morning. And even though my dog probably needed to be walked way before all of this started, I started with my dog and started taking her on walks. And we walked every morning and I would just put, praise and worship music on in my, in my head and be walking with the dog and, and listening to God speak to me. And it was almost miraculous. Every morning God played a certain, a different playlist for me that seemed to target how I was feeling that morning, whether it was a song that says, keep your eyes on me or let yourself go. And I'm going to hold you through this storm. And um, because there were some days where it was, easier to walk and other days when it wasn't so easy to walk. But I knew, I knew that I had to do something for me, something that, that got me away from everyone because, because our personalities or our lives were so intertwined. I think everybody thought I was suicidal. Everybody was so scared to leave me alone. Everybody, nobody wanted me to be alone to the point to where my 25 year old daughter moved into my bed and was sleeping in my bed with me every night. And uh, it took me a couple of months to finally look at her and say, do you think there's going to be a time that you find that you need to be in your own bedroom? (laughs) Yeah. I I think I, I need some, I need some alone space because like, even at that point, I couldn't grieve freely because she was in the bedroom and I was worried about upsetting her more. And so I would go sit on the toilet and cry if I was feeling overwhelmed. And so like trying to rediscover like how to move forward. And that was kind of one of the things is I'm a, I'm a researcher. So like I'm constantly lurking, learning, trying to learn new ways of, of doing things. And so for me, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot. I mean, I immediately started doing books. I went to group therapy I quickly learned that was not a thing for me. I I did grief share and I thought it was really good for a lot of people. It was not, it was not for me at all. It wasn't because for me, like I said, some of those widow sites, the doom and gloom really just kept bogging me down 
and making it really hard for me to find any joy in my life. Right. And so I was trying to find joy and my joy was walking in the mornings and spending time with God and sitting right here in this place every morning and talking to God and talking to Tracy and, and really reflecting on how I felt and being in those grief shares, everybody was so angry angry at their spouse for leaving them, angry at their spouse for doing whatever it was that ended their life, angry at God for taking him or her. They were angry at something or someone. And the one thing I can say is that I've even leaving the church as an employee, I never left my love for God. Like I said, I became disenchanted with the hierarchy of church, but not disenchanted with God. And kept constantly seeking out God's um, wisdom, even through the death of my husband, which was also something that happened so strangely for us. Uh, so we're really involved in Houston Rodeo, and we have our rodeo family. And a gentleman that was sort of like a, an uncle or a grandfather type of figure for my kids growing up passed away suddenly on August 9th. And I remember getting that call and all four of us sat in the living room and cried at the thought that he was gone. And it was like, oh my gosh, how do, what's it going to look like in February when rodeo rolls around and he's not here and this, that, and the other. And so Tracy and I literally spent every night and it just so happened it was over the summer and in the summers, my schedule is kind of weird. So instead of working a lot of nights, I was working more midday. So I would come home in, the, in an early evening and my husband and I would swim every night together. And that week, August 9th through August 15th or August 14th, we spent every night in conversation about death. What do you want if for some reason you suddenly die? What would you want to see me do with my life? And then what would I want to see you do with your life? And what do we expect for the girls? And what do we have going forward? And I never imagined my life without him. That just wasn't, didn't seem possible. But that week, our eldest daughter was supposed to move on Friday on the 20th to Austin, Texas, and start her life as a young adult. She had graduated from college, and she got a new job, and she was supposed to go and start her life. Our youngest daughter was beginning her junior year of college. And so she was not going to be home. And so we were going to be true empty nesters. Nobody in the house anymore. We were going to be alone. And I just remember thinking that that night of August 15th and praying to God, we prayed about being empty nesters, but I never prayed for this. This was not the empty nest I wanted. I didn't want to be alone per se. Um, but what ended up happening was my 25-year-old relinquished her job and stayed home. And so, because like I said, everybody was very, very, very fearful of me. Um, our anniversary was on the 12th of August. And usually, the man makes it all about the woman. The spa day and taking her out to this and this and that. And we had made a conscious effort to stay home and, and do a staycation that week instead of because our girls were leaving. And I planned for him. I took him to the spa, got his, his, you know, he had his full like 
hot beard shave and ears and nose and everything was done. And then we did an Astros game that night and we spent the whole day eating because in Houston in August that week, it's restaurant week. So everything is like, there's lots of, of special prices and special this and that for a restaurant week. And so we did that. And so we were, we went and had escargot. We did all the fun stuff that we would do as a couple and it made the day completely about him. And then on Saturday, our girls gave us ghost hunting tickets. And so the girls and my husband and I drove down to Galveston and we went ghost hunting on the island. And then Sunday, I have an amazing staff that I employ. And when they found out that it was our anniversary, they asked if they could take us to brunch. And so on Sunday, we spent a three-hour brunch with my staff. And we came home and we swam and we FaceTimed people we would never FaceTime normally. And he actually got to FaceTime with his dad that night. And we went to bed about nine o'clock that night. And then he woke up the next morning and said, I just don't feel very good. And I thought we've been traveling all weekend. We've been going here, there and everywhere, either ate something bad or he contracted like COVID or the flu or something. And he threw up in the bathroom and I'm a little sensitive to vomit. So I got up and left the the bedroom and I went into the living room and sat there. And I remember hearing something but I thought, of course, it was a cat or a dog knocking something over. So I didn't give much thought to it. And then I got up about five minutes later and I went into the bedroom and I found him on the floor. Mm. And so immediately began trying to flip him over. And my husband was not a little man. I'm, I'm little. I'm 5'2". My husband was 6'3", and a very, very large man. But I began screaming and both of my girls woke up. And so the three of us flipped him over and the girls, I immediately called 911 and the girls started CPR. And I, I feel like the timeline sounds like it was like so long, but I mean, it like all happened so quickly. I just can't even describe how fast everything happened. And immediately on the other phone after 911 was on its way and talking us through CPR, I called his twin brother and they live close enough that he pulled up maybe 15 seconds after EMS got here to, to be here. And so they worked on him for about an hour. And I think that they were really trying to make us feel good when they said, oh, y'all gave him a chance. But I don't know that, that that's really what I truly believe. But it was just so surreal for so long. And my sister stayed here for a week afterwards, really trying to field the situation people showing up and unannounced or whatnot and her kind of like running interference so that people didn't think that I was being rude and she didn't want me inundated and and those things but just the days after Ingrid left and Grace had to go back to school a week after her dad died and Bethany stayed here as much as possible with me but she's 25 and has her own life I have some high school friends that may have come around me a little bit since my husband died, but not very often. And when they found out what had happened, they they kind of checked on me every now and again. And then finally, I guess about a month and a half after Tracy passed, they were like, have you been out of the house? And I was like, well, just for work. And then they were like, no, 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 you need to get out. And I was like, well, I'm not ready. And they're like, you need to be ready. 
And for some reason, God put it on my heart that I needed to kind of spend some time with other people. And so they were like, well, let's just go dancing. It's light. You can have a drink or you don't have to. You can dance. You can not. You could just be around some other people. And so I did. And it was kind of like the spark that God was putting back in me that I started going dancing with and without my friends, by myself. I wasn't dating anyone. So it wasn't like I was looking for a man or anything like that. I wasn't looking for that at all at that point in my life. And I just started dancing every night and walking every morning. I dropped 40 pounds in, I don't know, in a matter of maybe five months. Yeah. And then rodeo kicked in and it just kind of, I just kept pushing myself to prayer time. I didn't let my prayer time go away. My prayer, my time to reflect, my time to think about what God wanted for me and what Tracy told me he wanted days before he died, which was to not live in sorrow. And that's why I think having all those stories, you want to hear everybody's story. I want to hear your story. I do. And I want to empathize and sympathize with with everybody's individual story. But it became one of those, like on one of the widow sites where you were fielding more of the suicidal stories of people. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like my, my persona can't do that. That's not the person I am. I will tell you that you're valued. You are loved. God has chosen you. You have a purpose in this world. But like, even in those grief share groups, those, those women and men didn't want to hear it. They were so angry, and I don't know how to help people not be angry. I'm very, I I know I'm very blessed that I was never angry. Yeah, I think you make some really good points in there. And one is that I try to encourage people here on the show is you have to find a community that has a view of hope and a view of we're on this journey to healing, and there's going to be days that are really hard and really bad. But we try to look forward with hope and we have something we're working towards. And you're right. A lot of them just don't have that positive outlook for the future. And it's hard when everyone in the group is still in that really volatile state and you don't have some people that have moved to that healing. I think one question I have for you that I get asked a lot is when you're a person of faith and you have a relationship with God why did you, why do you feel like you didn't get angry? Like you didn't have that moment where you questioned why, or you got angry that, that God let this happen. What what do you tell people who might ask you that? So for me, I've always had a great relationship with God from the time that I was a child. I can tell you, God called me into ministry when I was 12 years old. I remember the day and I remember being in my teens and saying, yeah, that's not the life I want to live. I want to live this crazy wild party life. And then I remember again, when I was about 19 years old, God coming back and saying again, hey, look, you and I need to have a talk. (laughs) And he basically, I remember looking in the mirror that day and saying, man, are you proud of who you are? And looking at myself and saying, and I guess most importantly, is, is God proud of who you are? And when I couldn't answer yes to both of those questions, I sought my relationship out with God again and and really focused in on my relationship with God. It wasn't my relationship with God and Tracy. It wasn't my my walk with God was different than Tracy's walk. And he was 
way more devout, devout than I was. Like my husband was amazing. And he did his Bible studies every morning. He did, I mean, I prayed and worshiped, but I didn't, I was not like him at all. Um, he was very, very, very devout. And, and he wasn't that when I met him, just so we're clear. <laughs> he was not that when I met him, but like yeah. when he came to ask me out on our first date, I answered the door and he says, Hey, would you like to go out with me? And I was like, well, do you, do you drink? Do you do drugs? And he's like, well, I smoke a little pot. And I was like, I don't date people that do drugs. I'm sorry. And I shut the door and I turned around and he said that that was probably the worst moment of his life when I shut the door in his face and he came back about two weeks later and he asked me out again. I said, well, do you still do drugs? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay. And, and so we went out after that. But, but it was really funny because that was part of his faith walk was me shutting the door in his face and saying, so after our first date, when I realized I really did like him, I told him, I said, look, before we go any further, we're not going to have sex before we get married. And, and, and I'm not saying that I was a virtuous woman when he met me. I just knew where I was at that point, that we would not have sex before we got married and that our lives were going to revolve around going to church. And I said, if you can handle those two things, then we're good. And so I believe that God, like, it wasn't all of a sudden that like I became a Christian and God all of a sudden was saying, oh, and you can't ever get angry with me or you can't ever have trials and tribulations because you're a Christian now and your life is perfect and you do nothing wrong and you're sinless and you're blameless and you're all these things. And I lived a life where I did things that I wasn't supposed to do and always turned back to God and asked for forgiveness. And, and he was always there for me. And my husband actually came down with an autoimmune disorder in 2012. And he, he had what they called angliosis spondylitis. And so he was in constant pain every day, kind of like having rheumatoid arthritis over your whole body is, yeah. is the way to explain it. And there were days that he couldn't get up. And um, I remember when in 2016, in, in the fall of 26 or Christmas 2016, they changed his meds and he was allergic to them. And so he ended up having a severe allergy to the Humira and it paralyzed him on his left side of his body. And so he couldn't get up and I literally had to physically carry my six foot three husband out to the truck and load him into our truck, which was downstairs. He had to go downstairs out of our house into the, into the park and then literally getting to the ER and them seeing me trying, little tiny me, trying to muscle my husband out of the truck and into a wheelchair. Finally, people came and helped us. And so I was always so sad from, I guess, 2012 until now that my husband was in so much pain all the time. We finally got his meds regulated Maybe in 2018, he finally got his meds regulated. So for six years, he was in a lot of pain. And they finally got him regulated to where, like, we could go places. We could plan vacations. We could do things to where he wasn't. As long as he didn't have to climb a lot of stairs up and down and stuff like that, he was good. And so we were living a life of spending time together and, and loving each other so much that I just, I think when God called him home, I wasn't thankful. I just said this the other day in a post that 
I'm not thankful for death. I'm not thankful that my husband's gone, but I am thankful that he's wholly healed. I'm thankful. And I think that those are the feelings that I had immediately. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to have those feelings. So there was a little guilt behind those. I've, I've dealt with a lot of guilt, no anger, but a lot of guilt. Um, thankful that he's healed. And I'm thankful that I know where he's at. Um, I'm thankful that he was an amazing husband. And um, I don't have the emotional baggage that a lot of women have of husbands that cheat or husbands that are dishonest or boyfriends that cheated and were dishonest. Because I was so young when I got married, I didn't have all that emotional baggage that I went into my marriage with, number one, and didn't come out with any of that emotional baggage like that. My last 10 years of my marriage were about serving my husband because he wasn't able to serve himself a lot of times. And so serving him and, and wanting what's best for him and the nights that he laid awake in bed moaning and groaning, I laid awake next to him praying for his healing, praying that God would heal him. And, and, and we don't get to control God's way of healing. And so I know, and we all know that the ultimate healing is being with God. And I never prayed for that, but I did always pray that God would heal him. And so I am super thankful for healing. And I think because I knew that he was perfectly healed and that I knew that he's with God, it allowed me to begin to heal quicker than other people um, because I didn't ever hit that stage of, God, why do you hate me? Or God, why are you angry with me? God, why did you punish me? What did I do wrong? What did he do wrong? What did he do? Because I know, even though we weren't, we are not sinless and blameless at all. And I'm not a perfect person and I'm not a perfect mom. I wasn't a perfect wife. I did the best that I could do for me. I did what was best for my husband. I did what was best for my children or what I thought, saw or thought was best for them. I don't know that everybody would agree with me, but knowing that I loved him more than life itself. And my, my ex-daughter-in-law actually and I were talking just the other day and she told me the that my husband and I were the couple that she and her husband, her new husband, are striving to be. And that makes me feel good that I know that even though things didn't work out with her and my stepson, that she saw a beauty in our marriage that she could replicate with hers or try to replicate. And she, and just like you said, when people ask, for me, it's never forget about dating Never forget about serving each other. It's, marriage is not 50-50. It's 100 and 100. If you're both not giving 100% to serving that other person and loving that other person, who cares if they spit in the sink and they don't wash it out with a toothpaste and you come back behind them, just rinse it out. Don't make a big fuss about it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just some toothpaste. And or, it'll be <laughs> one of those things you miss when they're gone. 100%, 100%. But you know, it's like, I find that I don't dwell on the little things. And I'm that way as a boss as well with my employees. I get mad, I say what I feel, I say what I think, and then I'm done. I don't continue to go, well, remember you spit in the sink yesterday, and you didn't rinse it out, I had to rinse it out again. 
It's the five, fifth time this week. You've brushed your teeth five times, and I've had to do it five times this week. It's, it's not harping and, and dwelling on the little things that don't matter. It's about finding your grace and, and your forgiveness and the love that you have for that person to overtake that. My husband was in no way, shape, a perfect man. Um, I know that we all tend to elevate our loved ones when they're gone and to not see the wrong or the, the bad things. And so I'm real careful when I say things, especially to my girls. I say, I'm not angry with your dad. I'm not mad, but these things used to annoy the fire out of me. And so like when I began to feel like I was ready to start dating, I had a list. These are the things that are not going to happen again. And one of them was dancing. When I met my husband, I was a dancer. I didn't dance for almost 27 years. And so re rekindling my love for dance. So that was one of the things that like, if a guy asked me, out, I was like, can you dance? Nope. Yeah, then this isn't going to work. <laughs> that and the blue bubble on the iPhone. If you don't have a blue bubble, please don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, that's definitely a sign. <laughs> I'm like, but <laughs> I know. So let me ask you, because I know for some people who are listening, some are more recent widows and some have been widowed for years. What, what year, how long has it been since your husband died? It's been one year and two weeks. One year and two weeks. And so as I look at you and I hear in your voice, you have a joy there and you have you mentioned gratitude and feeling a little off about that. Gratitude is actually very powerful in healing. And for me, instead of having sadness that hangs over me and all of my, what should be happy moments, it now is more of a gratitude for what was instead of a sadness for missing that. But I know there will be people that are six months out or a year out or even five years out and they're still just raw and volatile and like you mentioned in some of those groups just still having this this feeling of despair what what would you say to people who wonder like how could I ever get to where she is how could I ever get that spark of joy in my voice again what what would you say to those people so to somebody who's looking to find it I mean you really I went to a conference this past weekend and I went to, an, it was an awful sermon or an awful class for it, but it's finding your why. And one of the things is the lady that taught the class was all about, look at my why. My why is so perfect. My why is this. I make this much money. And I was like, yeah, that's not helping anyone. But um, finding your why and understanding that your why changes in your life. At every season of your life, your why changes. You, when I was younger, my why was all about like, finding a career and finding what I'm going to do that, that I'm going to be successful and I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be powerful, which that's everybody's kind of dream when they're 17 and 18 years old. And then meeting my husband and falling in love and my why became about him and building our family. And then when my girls were born, my why was my girl and my family, you know, and, and, and doing everything to make life great for the family. And then with Tracy passing, my why changed and it changed selfishly because like we were saying, my, my personality was entwined with his so greatly 
that I didn't know who I was without him. And so my why had to change and become selfish because I had to find out who I was. I had to spend some time in, in, in prayer and in reflection to ask myself. And I know that I'm very blessed that my husband told me exactly what he wanted. And it was fresh in, in, in my brain that day. When I woke up that Monday morning and he was no longer there with me, that when everybody kept asking, what did he want? Well, I know because he said this, 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 and this. And I know that it was kind of weird because that week he worked with his identical twin brother. He told his identical twin, you know, hey, Wednesday and I've been having these talks. And he goes, I really want to make sure that she knows this is what I want. I've told her this, but she needs to be able to hear it from someone else. So knowing that my brother-in-law had my husband's wishes as well allowed me to, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. The guilt is still there. The guilt is, will always be there because everybody outside of the widow world thinks that your life should look like this. And they don't understand what's going on in here. And so the way to find my gratitude for me was just finding solace in prayer, in learning to worship God through my sadness, and then ultimately seeking out companionship for me helped a lot, and not sexual companionship, even though that's a huge issue for women. The widow's fire hits, and I found much like <laughs> humor in looking at some of the other websites like Widow Humor or Widow's Island, and in those places where I would like read these stories and go, oh my God, no, oh no, or find the, the laughter in things. People, like somebody just posted, they're like, how do you put out a widow's fire? And I'm like, you just don't even let it ignite. I mean, let's like just, and so like everybody's got their place of where they are and the dark humor has, has dark humor has really done it for me a lot. I, I found that I'm way darker now about things and I find laughter it was awful. At Halloween last year, my, my oldest daughter was like, I think I'm going to go as dad for Halloween. And she showed me a ghost picture. And I was like, seriously, that is not okay. And she's like, oh, come on, laugh. It's funny. And I was like, oh, my God. And then my other daughter takes father-daughter selfies with her urn. She'll go places it. somewhere new. She'll <laughs> go somewhere new. And she's like, father-daughter selfie. But she used to do that when, they were, when she was in school here, when she was in high school. She did father-daughter selfies every morning. And so the, the humor, trying to find the humor in things that may not necessarily be as funny as they would be if you didn't live in this world, but finding myself in places like just sitting with God. I mean, I literally, I sat with God for hours a day and, and through, and I, I received God through music. And so I would just turn the music on and just sit there and listen to what he might have to say to me. And, 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 and a lot of times I felt Tracy through those words, through the songs, telling me that I am, I'm going to be okay. You know, that, that I'm going to be okay. But sometime around December, I was really needing to talk to a man. Um, talking to my girlfriends was great. I had some male friends, but not anybody that like I wanted to talk to. I needed somebody that would look at me and say, you look beautiful today. You're so sweet. You're so this. And so 
there was a gentleman that was friends with my husband and friends with me through rodeo stuff. And he and I spent three months chatting. We didn't live close enough together. So that was a, a good thing because he kept saying, I want to take you on a date. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that I'm ready for that. And so like, we just kept chatting, we kept chatting. We got very, very close to each other. And then by the time that rodeo came, he was like, okay, I'm ready to take you on a date. And I was like, well, it's not going to work out. So it didn't work out and it was fine. But, and, and it was kind of funny. I told people, I was like, when I thought I was ready to start dating or to have a relationship with someone, God threw up roadblocks. Something happened to where I would say, yeah, that's not okay. And so he had been going through a divorce. And so while I was there for him to kind of talk about the divorce side of it, which I've never been divorced, but I, the woman's side of how she might've been feeling and that kind of stuff, he was able to be empathetic for me because he was friends with Tracy. And so he kind of felt the loss a little bit as well. And so we were there for each other in that aspect. But by the time that rodeo came around, he was needing something that I wasn't ready to give. Right. And so we, we just said, this is it's strictly going to be friendship. We can't, I can't move, take that step forward with you. And which was funny because then three weeks later, rodeo was over. And a week after rodeo was over, I met a gentleman and we have been dating since then. So it's been five months and he has experienced his own amount of grief. But the first thing he did when he came into my life was he made sure that I understood that he was very aware that if Tracy was still alive, that I would be married still and that he would never have met me. Number one. Number two. And I see this a lot in the widow's places, like they meet somebody and they're like, they, the men are jealous of the dead husband. And so he has made it very clear that he wants pictures of Tracy to be up and he wants them to be around. He wants to see those things. He wants to hear about Tracy and learn why I am who I am and why my girls are who they are because of the man that was in our lives to the point to where a week, the week that Tracy died, he planned an entire vacation for me and my girls and brought his daughter. And we went on this, we went to the hill country in, in Texas and we did river floating. He took us out on the lake and complete with a butterfly release on the day that commemorated one, one year. And so like, he is very, very in tune with our grief. And so even yesterday, driving home from my conference in Austin, a song came on and I just kind of looked out the window and he reached over and he grabbed my hand and he said, some songs hurt harder than others, don't they? And I said, yep, yep. And I mean, just the tears just, but it's like he has that knowledge and finding somebody that can love me through that guilt, through that guilt and through that, that grief of finding somebody that cares about me for who my husband made me because we, we, I was a child when I got married, <laughs> a literal child. Yeah. We grew up together. And so we made each other who we were. And, and like we said, we keep going back to that because I was so young, our personalities were so entwined. And so the only issues my daughters have with the gentleman that I'm seeing is she's like, they're like, well, you used to do this and now you do this. And I'm like, well, because I did those things because that's all I ever knew. I didn't know there was all this that we could be doing. And so now that I know that there's these things, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen Runaway Bride, but in Runaway Bride, every time she got with a different gentleman, she took her eggs differently. 
So the first husband liked them sunny side up with hollandaise sauce on them or whatever it was. Second guy liked his to be over easy with just a little bit of salt and pepper. And the other one liked his scrambled. And then somebody else liked eggs Florentine. And so like the one thing that the reporter realized is that she didn't know how to find herself because she got into these relationships and it was always this. And this is what you do. And so coming out of a 27-year marriage, all of a sudden it was like, do I really like spicy stuff? Or did I just do that because my husband liked it spicy? And, and I find my stomach feels a whole lot better without all that spicy stuff. <laughs> or maybe, maybe I, I, I don't like wearing flip-flops everywhere or, or whatever it is. Whatever the things are that you used to do because you just always thought that that's what it was supposed to be. I went through a phase of not watching TV because that's all we did. And we came home from, from work together and we sat and we watched TV. So I turned my TV off. I don't even know why I was paid a cable bill because for like nine months, I did not watch TV because I was trying to find some way to find myself otherwise. So I did more reading. I did more TikToking. Stay away from that. I can go down a really good cat and dog TikTok hole fast. But just finding the different things that like you used to do. And for me, going dancing, we didn't go dancing. And so, and I had rules about going out dancing. If I was out at a club, I didn't meet men. I wasn't getting numbers. You weren't getting my number. I just made rules and I had these rules. And so meeting Jean really came out of the blue because I, I wasn't, I wasn't really ready for it. And then all of a sudden it was like this man who gets me for who I am. And, or who I think I am right now and the person that I'm rediscovering. And so it's, it's been a, a whole different kind of walk and having my daughters watch it so closely makes me very introspective of making sure that I don't do something that sets their walk back, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So Grace graduates in December and my, my boyfriend and, and, and I have already said, these are the things that we're going to do for her, for her graduation. And he is like fully on board. And he, he, my, my dad took ill. Like I met him the same day I found out my dad had terminal cancer. It was almost like God just like was really trying to reposition me into a, a perspective of, of knowing my blessings. And so a month and a half after the diagnosis of my dad, he fell. And my mom has Alzheimer's. So she doesn't remember calling the, the ambulance that day. But my dad ended up in the hospital for three weeks. And this man that I met, I'd only been dating a month and a month and a half. And I needed somebody to watch my mom because I wanted to go to the hospital to be with my dad. And my sister was out of town and my brothers were busy. And he says, well, I'll sit at home with your mom. My mom can't remember my daughter's name sometimes. But let me tell you, he spent a week with my mom that week watching her every day. And my mom now is like, every time she sees me, where's Jean? Oh. Where's Jean? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did you do to my mom? <laughs> <laughs> she can't remember who my kids are half the time. But my mom loves him. But he said something to my dad when my dad was in the hospital. And we didn't think he was going to make it over in the, overnight. And I just happened to hear it because he was whispering and I have hearing aids. So sometimes my hearing aids are really good about picking up everything. And I heard him whisper in my dad's ear not to worry that he was going to take care of his girl. 
Oh. And I remember walking away from the hospital room that day and thinking, it's pretty presumptuous. <laughs> We've only been dating a month and a half. <laughs> but it just, I think that God, God had me, needed me in places so that things would happen the way that he wanted them to be. So really just taking some introspective time with God has really brought my joy and my heart to a place to where I know that I'm lovable. I know that I'm loved. I know that God chose me. And, and I know that God only wants what's best for me. And what I think is best for me may not be what it is best for me. And the other thing that I had to learn, because I, I dealt with this and talked with several women about it, where they would get upset and saying, this was supposed to be happily ever after. And somebody said this to me, and it was way too early for me to hear this. It was maybe two weeks into grief. And somebody looked at me and said, well, maybe you were his happily ever after. And I just, at the time, was not super happy about that comment. But I can look at it now and say, you know what? We can't both be each other's happily ever after. I mean, aside from dying together, one of us is probably going to go before the other. And knowing, I know that my husband died fully loved. I know that he loved me through and through. And so we had a weekend together. I mean, people didn't believe it when they got the call because they'd seen all the Facebook posts. Oh, we're at the Astros game. Oh, we're here. Oh, we're there. We're this. Sorry, anniversary. Cheers. Kind of stuff. But I know that he died at a place to where he knew that he was completely loved by everyone that surrounded him, being me, my girls, and even my staff. Like I said, my staff took us to brunch that morning. And then the next day when they found out that he had passed, I had staff members sitting on my front lawn wanting to come in and to, we just couldn't have anybody in the house. I couldn't have anybody in the house. But they sat out here and they prayed over us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know that my husband knew that he was loved through and through. And I think that that's another reason that I know that I can find that joy. Because I know that that's what he wanted for me. He wanted me to be happy again. He, he knew that I loved him. And I never, I never, I'm not going to say I never went to bed mad. Because that would be a lie people say don't go to bed mad I went to bed mad several times but somewhere in the middle of the night my foot would always make its way to touch him just to let him know that he is I still love him I may be angry and I'll probably still be angry in the morning but I do love you so that's kind of where I'm at oh well I love it that's such a heartbreaking but beautiful story and I love the amount of faith that you've had, the gratitude you've had, the just positive outlook on how things can be and that feeling of being loved and knowing that you're cared about and that sometimes bad things just happen. And it's not because God hates us or doesn't want us to have a good life, but we live in a broken world and sometimes those things happen. But it sounds like you've really made a lot of progress just in one year. And I'm so glad that's that what my therapist able... said. My therapist was like, I don't understand where you're coming from. I'm like, I don't know either. 
But I, I think you made a really good point early on, which is healing is a choice and healing takes proactive work. Like you yes. researched, you read, you talked to other people, you tried groups and it wasn't for you, or maybe those groups weren't for you, but you made an effort. And there are a lot of people that will hear this that think that they do nothing and time's just magically going to make things better. But I think you're just a great picture of someone who even a year later can have joy and hope in your life again, when for many people, they may feel like that's never coming for them. But right. thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Hey, I didn't really get the chance to dig in with Wednesday on the topic of guilt, but that is something that you heard her mention several times throughout the episode and something I just want to make a special call out for. This is something that I learned through the grief recovery method, which is amazing and the only evidence-based grief recovery program in the entire world. So it's amazing. But one of the main things that they teach is that there is a lot of guilt associated with grief and it's something I struggled with. It's something that a lot of widows struggled with. And as you heard Wednesday say, she struggled with the grief that she had some relief that finally he was healed. Finally, that his body and spirit were fully healed and with God. And she somewhat felt guilty about that. And that's one of the most common areas of, of guilt that people feel. And what I learned from the grief recovery method is that guilt often implies malicious intent. And we know we can assume that for almost all widows, there's really no malicious intent with them wanting their spouse to be gone or declining their health or any of those things. So what is it then that we feel? We associate it with guilt. We call it guilt. But the word guilt implies malicious intent. And it's a really heavy word to set on our shoulders. So instead of thinking of it as guilt, or instead of saying, I feel guilty or I am guilty, usually instead what it is, one of three things. We wish that things were better, more, or different. And I know for myself personally, as I reflected back over my relationship with Nathan and about the way that things that ha had happened, that that resonated with me. That was true. I didn't really feel guilty because I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't take any actions that were wrong or treat him with the intent of being malicious. But I just wish that there were things that had happened differently. I wish there were things that had been better or that there were things that we did more of. So as you think about your own feelings on this journey of healing and how you reflect on grief, think about the word guilt and instead ask yourself, not do I feel guilty or why you feel guilty, but instead, is it really because you wish something was better, more or different? about the relationship or about some of the circumstances that happen. This is actually part of a course that I teach in the Brave Widow community called Getting Unstuck from Grief. Guilt tends to be one of those things that holds us back in grief and keeps us from being able to heal and being able to move forward. Now, I don't think that's the case with Wednesday at all because you could hear the joy in her voice. You can see that she's looking forward to the future with hope. You can see that she's not 
wallowing in grief and unable to move forward. So it's not holding her back. But for some people, guilt is part at least of what holds them back from being able to move forward in their journey. And if you'd like to learn more about that, I would love to have you as part of the membership community where you have access to that course and several others. You can join in on some of our live calls and have a discussion just like we had today with Wednesday about how she's doing and her story and some of the challenges and some of the successes and the wins. That's one of the things I love about the community is we have that opportunity to share those with each other. And it's a community where people are hopeful about the future. Yes, we have days where we struggle. Yes, we have days or moments that are hard. But overall, one of the most positive things I hear over and over about the community is that people appreciate it's a place where we instill hope. We help educate, we focus on learning and growing and developing. And if that's the kind of community that you would like to be a part of, I would love to have you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow podcast. I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.